Hi everyone, welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Justin. I'm James. I'm Cleo. And I'm Corinne. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing Altered Carbon by Richard K. Morgan. So, I, I guess we can start it off the, the usual way. What did everyone think of the book? All right, I'll start. Uh, Justin, you heard this exact same sentence just a little while ago as we walked here. Mm-hmm. I think that the book is overall enjoyable. It very much feels to me like kind of a kind of a, a popcorn book, like a, like a blockbuster movie, I guess. It, it pretty much solidly ticked off all of the boxes of noir and wasn't otherwise very deep. I think all of the depth of the book, if you could call it that, would be come from the the world building that was done which you know there was a lot of interesting stuff but that was about the the long and short of it i think that my overall enjoyment of the book was diminished by the fact that i had to listen to it in a very short amount of time and uh it's been a rough week for focusing on things so that made it a little harder as well i think if i was taking my time with the book i would have had fun with it but I don't think that I otherwise got a lot out of it. And there was a lot of things that I found kind of frustrating with it. The end. Podcast done. All right. We can pack it up. (laughs) I think the things that you found kind of frustrating about it were things that I found very, very frustrating about it. And so confession, I did not finish the book because certain things happened this week that made it very hard for me to continue reading it. uh, One to they were related to the things yeah. that were frustrating. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, peek behind the curtain. Uh, star date for this is what? Today's the 11th, 12th? Yeah. So, yeah, November November 12th. So you can you can puzzle that one out. Uh, yeah, it's, it was, yep. But, yeah, I wanted to like the book. And I did, in the, I, I did like certain parts of it, right? Like, I love anything, anything noir-related generally, but unfortunately this book did a very good job of kind of carrying over the things that I really don't like about noir into it. Um, namely just, you know, how female characters are written, how like, you know, violence is treated, just, you know, things like that. We'll go into more detail later on, but that was kind of generally the things that tainted the experience for me. I mean, you all saw my post in Slack. (laughs) I was, there were things that I was really just rolling. Like my eyes rolled out of my head at some parts of this book. But Corinne has no eyes now. Yes, I am eyeless. Um, Good old Jimmy DeSoto. (laughs) Spoiler, not really. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) James? Yeah, I'd say I'd fall um, about in the same boat as as you, Corinne. I think that um, I thought it was fun. I had, you know, things that it, there are things that it did that I actively didn't like it was never quite enough to like totally turn me off and make me want to stop reading um but it was the kind of thing where i it, there are definitely some of those like eye rolly moments and i i for me i think one of the big things that that i would really double down on from what what you were saying corinne is the fact that it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of depth outside of the world building unto itself like there's there's the story and it's it's a i would argue it's a good story um but i don't feel like this is a book that has anything to say which is fine. I don't think a book needs to have something to say, but I think particularly when you're edging this close to cyberpunk that I feel like is one of the genres that I most often associate with being a good, interesting, pulpy story while also saying things about the world and what it is and what it could be. Uh, I think that it makes it makes something like this feel like it really falls short 
I I really enjoy, you know, books like Neuromancer, right? That have kind of a similar sort of like heisty plot line, except also speak a lot more to technology and the way that we interact with it. I think that Altered Carbon has some really neat conceits to its world, but it feels like a lot of them come in not to make a point, but to be fun for a story, which is not a bad thing, but I don't know. That's not usually what I look for in sci-fi. Um, I know there are a lot of people who do. I would say take that one if you're someone who knows that you really go into sci-fi just for kind of interesting like adventure story romps. Uh, this is probably going to be right up your alley. If you usually look for a bit more than that, uh, I think it's going to leave you wanting. I feel like that was one of the really big things for me. And it's certainly to the extent where I'm much more likely to forgive the eye roll moments if it feels like at least it has something else to say. It doesn't, you know, obviously it doesn't make them not eye roll moments. But I can at least be like, yeah, but at least I can point to these other things of merit and like, yeah, this is gross, but at least I got something out of it. Whereas it's like, yeah, this is gross, but at least it was fun, I guess. And I feel like there's enough stuff that's just fun that doesn't have moments like that. So I feel like that makes them stand out a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, For me, this is my third time reading the book. And the, the first time I read it, like so passively that it really was like just sort of sitting back, turning your brain off and enjoying a blockbuster movie, right? That kind of experience. And the second time was more or less the same thing. It was a, it was like a world that I so thoroughly enjoyed that I, that I came away pretty positively from the whole thing. And the, and the second time was about probably four or five years after I had read it the first time. And it was, it was essentially going back for that feeling. And it was almost, even though there wasn't much time, it was like very, almost nostalgia based. So reading it this time and like reading it almost for real for the first time, I've sort of finally noticed all of the shortcomings basically. And it's like, as I started, this is like, and I, I don't, I don't ever really take notes. And part of it is because I tend to, especially the first time I read books, I tend to think about them critically, but not want to pull myself out of the experience of what I'm reading long enough to stop and highlight and take notes and that kind of stuff. Uh, But this time I, I did. Right. And it, it even more so highlighted these like kind of glaring flaws. Overall, I pretty much fall into a slightly more positive, but generally similar position to James and Corinne. And for me, I think what it is is that I like love this world. And I think I'm probably more in, not, maybe not more into it, but just like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably the way to put it. It's like, I'm, I'm way more into this world than, than it seems like you guys are. And because I want to experience story, like stories in this world that much, it sort of ticked up my my general enjoyment of the book and allowed me, despite my my eyes also nearly rolling out of my head at parts, to still genuinely enjoy what's going on because I kind of just like, it's not that I want to be Kovach or be involved in this story, but I really want to live in this world as shitty as the parts of it that we're seeing are. So yeah, maybe we can start off talking about some of those glaring flaws i um one of the like little tiny things that i noticed that like really irrationally bugged me was toward the beginning when he gets sleeved in the in his in the body and he's sort of going through the facility and and dealing with just coming out of the tank and all this stuff he gets a letter like he has the suit that was provided by bancroft and there's a letter on top of it right and you never actually get what the letter is in, in like in those sequences and 
it's just he he's like yeah I, I you know i saw the letter i read the letter i went outside i got grabbed by the cops we went to bancroft's place right and so it's you know that he got a letter and it details whatever the hell is going on but you don't get that and i really liked that because the idea is that all the relevant bits of the letter that we need can come from the story pretty naturally and so i was really on that and then the chapter ends and the next chapter is literally just the letter and i was like you passed up this golden fucking opportunity to to sort of feed information in an interesting way and instead you just gave us the goddamn letter and i was like really weirdly mad about that for like the length of the next chapter that's really interesting because i feel like that that goes to one of the things that i think that the book overall does like tries that it's interesting but i don't think is always super successful with and that's just hidden information um things that the protagonist knows that you the reader don't and i i will also say that i think that this is at least in part um affected by the fact that i and i know uh corinne you as well uh, listened to the audiobook for this which makes it really difficult i feel like to determine when morgan is hiding information from you that characters have versus when you just missed something which is you know all fine and he's consistent with it you know it's not like i feel like it's more frustrating when there are characters who you know will inconsistently hide information from you whereas in this case it's it's kind of the norm and you get used to it but it's a little bit weird to be effectively in the head of a protagonist who is not sharing things with you it's it's not like reading sherlock holmes right where you can have that really exciting reveal later by putting you in watson's head with whom holmes does not share everything right. so holmes gets those big reveal speeches it's really different when you're in a first person narrative and that first person narrator is hiding information from you it's interesting and i know that morgan's not the first author to do it but it's by and large something that i'm not always a fan of i think that if you're going to do that it works much better if you have a third person narrator whether that narrator is someone else in the story or just like some you know omniscient or yeah exactly third person whatever yeah exactly it's interesting it's it's a cool thing um i don't think it always works but I, I think, though, that one of the things that is kind of a success of that letter that I agree ends up being a weird failure when they just, like, immediately go and give it to you is it seems like that would be a really good priming for this idea that Kovach is going to know things and you are not going to know them even though you are in Kovach's head. But it, it is weird, though, that then that payoff comes so quickly because that almost – I agree that that seems like it undoes a lot of the priming that it does to give you this sense that – you don't know everything the character knows because it's like, oh, I don't know everything the character knows. Oh, no, yes, I do. So, yeah, I hadn't even picked up on that. But, yeah, that is weird. Yeah, and that's it just like it made me so weirdly angry because it was it was so close to being really, really good and a perfect introduction to sort of this thing that he is doing throughout the book anyway. Yeah. And then he just fails. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I didn't even notice that. I just want to say one thing about the audiobook: The narrator's voice for uh, Miriam Bancroft. Yeah. Sounds like Stewie from Family Guy. <laughs> and that and I also listened to it at like a fairly high speed, which made it even worse. <laughs> I was talking about this with Corinne the other day, yeah, yeah, where like towards the end, to make sure I got it in, I brought it up to like one and a half speed. And it's one of the reasons why I'm hesitant to comment on the narration, because I know that I listened to it at like not the normal speed. And by and large it holds up, but there are a couple of voices where I think by and large the author does a pretty solid accent at regular speed that become hilarious at one and a half. <laughs> but again, not to say anything to the performance, right? Like that, that is whether or not a performance holds up, quote unquote, at 1.5 speed is 
not at all any sort of valid criticism. But also, like, at the same time, to me, almost feels like a valid criticism because fuck if everyone I know who listens to audiobooks doesn't listen to them at, like, minimum one and a half to two times speed. Like, well, most of the time, just because. Normally, I don't. I actually generally will listen to audiobooks at regular speed. It's only when we're doing stuff like this that I'll that I'll bring like it up to crunch. make sure that I yeah when I have a deadline. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, I go at I go at one x. But yeah, well, I mean, when I read this trilogy the second time, I did it with the audiobook narration because by that time I could get the I had the Kindle books and I could get the Audible narration added for like three dollars a piece. Yeah, sure. because they had, they were so old by this point, and. Uh, I also just did it at, at one time speed, partially because I didn't have a deadline and partially because I would probably get frustrated trying to listen to something at, at higher speed. Yeah. I can't go higher than 1.5. Cleo, I know you go pretty I, fast sometimes. Yeah, because that's a dyslexic skill. <laughs> like, I learned that when I had to listen to books instead of, like, like textbooks instead mm. of uh, reading them. Uh, and it helps if you have the text in front of you. Just pro audiobook listening tip. Uh, if you have the text in front of you and you're listening at a really high speed, it'll like, that's like my ideal way of like taking in information if I have to take it in fast. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that would probably work for, for me too, just because like my reading speed is definitely more in line with two times a narration speed. And so that would probably, maybe I'll just try that for the next book that I read. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I cannot do that. I am impressed by anyone who can listen to things that fast and still retain it. But I also have a very slow reading speed. <laughs> anyway. I, re I, I listened at 1.5 speed uh, last night just to just to finish up because I still had like an hour and a half of like listening time if I just listened to it at mm. 1x. And I was just like, I need I need to finish this. It's yeah. already, it's like 1130. I need to be done. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking for some fun. And you're reading Altered Carbon. Uh, try playing with the uh, with the reading speed. Yeah, we should probably get back to Altered Carbon. We should probably <laughs> probably not the audio performance. Um, yeah. So, I mean, do we want to? We we started talking about uh, shortcomings of the book. Do we right. want to keep doing that in the the spoiler free section? Like, I would say most of the things that I can think of would be uh, a much more fair conversation to have with specific examples that i don't think we could bring in until later yeah, yeah. Else have general the, the one that i brought up is so early in the book yeah. that i don't mind but i don't yeah. really want to i'd agree with that i mean i'd really say the only the only other big one for me is the one that i mentioned earlier it it feels like the book doesn't really have like a lot to say i agree that it's an interesting world um it, it doesn't feel like it develops enough like bigger ideas every so often it seems like it tries but it's always kind of a bit ham-fisted mm -hmm. kovach will literally pause and think about the broader implications of this world it feels a little bit like the author trying to explain to you why this is an interesting conceit yep i was not big into that he very unfortunately lapses into tell don't show yeah and it's he does a lot of showing and he builds an interesting world through showing but then when he really wants to hammer something home it just it's just pure exposition and it's yeah that's a little that's painful unfortunately very easy to do with noir because with noir sure. right with like the traditional noir films your internal monologue right yeah, yeah you have the narration going on like i stepped out into the street and this is what i was thinking about yep. <laughs> in robert mitchum's voice yeah um, <laughs> and it's like it's one of those things that if it's done well it can be like really great right even if it is like this is very like expositional storytelling we're just like talking about like our you know how reflecting on the city and why all this stuff is important but like 
if it's articulated in a certain way and if they're like the character is making a point that is like best made in this format it can be great but otherwise it just kind of seems trite and weird yep yeah i think doubly so i feel like it works a lot better when it's a character kind of musing about something that exists in the real world as opposed to the character musing about the conflicts of this wholly fictional world because i feel like at that point like in the former it feels like someone wrestling with reality in the latter it feels like the author patting in this case himself on the back for this interesting complicated world that they've created and i feel like like that's the big difference there like in in the latter you need to let me deal with that as the reader in the former you're welcome to like make your commentaries on reality because you're not just like ah look what i've done i've invented the city you know look at how this reflects on the life of human beings yeah. it's like no like you can you can have a character i feel like thinking about that that that's for me seems like one of the the big differences there but yeah, so I feel like that's the big thing is I, I feel like, you know, the things where it does seem like it's trying to say something I don't think are as interesting as I think the book thinks they are. They're fun from a world building standpoint, but I don't think that they're that thoughtful. I mean, it reminds me a lot of Brandon Sanderson. If if you're a Sanderson fan and you're looking for sci-fi, like I think that this would work. I, I like Sanderson a lot by and large, but I don't think he has a lot to say. I think right. he does some really good world building and makes interesting, complicated worlds. But, but ultimately, he's he's doing the sort of pop fantasy yeah. that altered carbon is pop sci-fi. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. And it's fun. I don't have anything against that. Yeah. It's just, I feel like, I don't know. It's good to recognize kind of in, within the genres where everything kind of fits, right? Like yeah. you don't want to, if you're looking for something super deep, you don't want to be, you know, necessarily yeah. hitting this one first. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it, which is weird because I feel like I, and may, this isn't, the the book's fault but i feel like i came into this with a lot of like really hyperbolic praise being showered on this and i had read this in high school i listened to it um and i didn't really like it a lot then either but i didn't remember a lot about it so i was really interested so i was like oh well i know that this is something that a lot of people really like and i feel like people shower praise on this as though it's neuromancer right and it it is it is not i just i don't think there's any two ways around that it is it is not that it's not on that level it's funny that you mentioned Neuromancer, because I have a lot of issues with Neuromancer, actually, that are similar to some of the issues I have with Alter Carbon. Yeah, um, I'd say that's probably fair. Yeah. There are, it, I'm, I would never say it doesn't have shortcomings, but I feel like that's one of those situations where the highs that it reach, at least for me, make those shortcomings more tolerable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I would say, like, people, the shower praise on this the way people shower praise on Marvel films, right? If you look at reviews right now for, for movies, take... Doctor Strange, which came out a week ago, and Arrival, which came out this week, mm-hmm. they are they're receiving probably similar levels of praise. But Arrival is this movie that the people are coming out of it are like, this movie had something to say. This movie was deep. This movie is like is is great sci fi that that delves into like the human psyche kind of thing. Are the things people are saying about Arrival and the things people are saying about Doctor Strange are this was really fun. The effects were great. It you know the story is enjoyable and 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 this and that and the other and it's like the praise showered on a a well-executed blockbuster versus the praise that comes to something that actually that you need to engage and grapple with is i think what we're getting here in book form well the interesting thing for me is that i a lot of the reviews i was seeing were specifically comparing altered carbon to neuromancer and snow crash and i think that's the place where i was most let down if it was being praised as yep fun cotton candy popcorn kind of thing and i'm sure that those reviews exist i yeah. didn't do a lot of research in it because i knew we were reading it anyway 
So it was the kind of thing where I was like, yeah, like I, I want to go in not knowing a lot. But it felt like I was seeing things where people were actively comparing it to that. And I mean, Corinne, you and I were talking a little bit about Snow Crash uh, last night, where it feels like a lot of the things that happen in Altered Carbon in a very serious way are exactly the things that Stevenson does in Snow Crash with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek, mm-hmm. right? Like the main character, one of the POV characters in Snow Crash is named Hero Protagonist. He has his online persona can use samurai swords because he thinks that's fucking awesome. Whereas in this, there's a scene that I'm supposed to take seriously in which Kovach buys a sword that, to my understanding, is not ever really used in the book. It seems like it's just an excuse to give your sci-fi noir, like, sort of cyberpunk protagonist a gun and an awesome sword. Hang on, that's actually something that I specifically was thinking of when I was reading this book, is that I love the idea that in this world there exists an establishment where you can buy a gun and a blade at the same place. Yeah. That's just, that's bonkers. That's, that's just bonkers. But I so, love that it's two different vendors, right? Like they've both set up yeah, shops he just like in walks the same you building. Over to the other yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess I might be remembering it wrong. Cause I remember that he, he buys the guns and the gun, he uses all the guns. Yeah. Right. And then he goes over to her to get a blade and he wants, she demonstrates like this blade that you could like a, like a short, like an assassin's like a creed dagger blade. or something, right. That you can throw. But he yeah. doesn't actually buy that. And then he ends up buying the like, yeah, the basically the like hidden blade that is that it has like a neurochem linked like spring loaded whatever that he can like pop out. Yeah. Again, I definitely might be remembering it wrong. Okay. Um, it's it, it does get used at the end of the story. It, the big thing for me was just in that sequence. But yes, also yeah, that was one of those sequences where I, it then again, I will be the first to say I might be remembering it wrong. Because a pretty significant portion of my brain was consumed by, oh my god, I can't believe that you're asking me to take this scene of all scenes seriously. Yeah. This strikes me as just such, like, wish fulfillment, like, awesome, like, draw your character, like, oh yeah, he's cool because he's got, like, a sword and he's got a gun. Like, the kind of thing that, like, a kid would do, right? Right. And that's the thing. It's a scene that you you can totally buy up until he's like, I need a blade. Yeah, because it's like everything else. It's like it's a it's a career criminal who's who's playing around with new gun toys. Right. And he's he's picking up something cool and interesting that he likes. And the gun stuff is pretty straightforward. And it's like, OK, that's fine. Yeah. But then when he switches over to, OK, I need a blade and that whole scene happens. Yeah, it it need it, it doesn't ever shift into being tongue in cheek when it's so hard to take it seriously. It was very Kingsman. Like, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I could get that read off it. Yeah. So Except I, I without like the was, humor, yeah, right? yeah, without exactly. the self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, I feel like that was the big thing, at least for me, in in those moments. And again, when people were comparing this to things like Snow Crash and Neuromancer, and for all the reasons that I don't think it does that, right? Like Snow Crash does a really good job of playing with those tropes. This just like embraces them and doesn't really advance them. Yeah. Neuromancer does a lot to create a bunch of those tropes and like has a lot to say about the world. I feel like this doesn't. So those were the things, and again, it, the, I will be the first to say that's not the book's fault, but it is something that I want to be really clear about if you're listening to this and you're interested in checking it out because you saw some of those reviews. Um, I, I I could not disagree with those comparisons more. Like, I think that there are ways to compare them, but I don't think by putting them on comparable levels. Yeah, for sure. So, But I would agree with your Doctor Strange and Arrival comparison. I think that that's, like, super apt, you know, and, like, Cleo, with what you were saying, with, like, it know what you're getting into and it can be good for what it is but i i don't know i came into this with 
it having been explicitly guided the wrong way as to what it was. Not yeah. by you all, but, you know. Maybe a little by me. I heap some praise on this book. I'll, I'll admit to it. But well, I don't think you then, ever, like... And then you read it again, and you were like, oh, wait. Yeah. It's like, I, I read it with, a, a like, a real focus for the first time. And I was like, oh, I still love it, but... Yeah. Um, anyway. This is probably a good time to, to cut over. Yeah, I think so. So, final recommendations, and also just real fast, we'll get into this more. This is, book is problematic in terms of how it treats uh, religion, specifically Catholicism, and it's also problematic in the way it treats women. So, if you're looking for... If any of that particular stuff is going to put you off of a book, it will put you off of this book. And I will say specifically, like, there is violence against women. Oh, yes. Yes, there is. Like, very specific, terrible, terrible things. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah. I mean, I would say, do we want to do like a quick would you recommend it? Or I feel like, do we want to say that, that first part pretty yeah, aptly summed that's... it up? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would recommend it, but with the caveat that, that James had more or less already said of just know what you're getting into. If you're looking for sci-fi, that's really going to make you think or, or give you something to really chew on. This is not it. But if you're looking for a, a sci-fi world that is probably going to interest you and for a enjoyable, if sort of empty calories story, uh, go for it. Uh, yeah. A lot of problems with this book. A lot of reasons that you might just have to put it down. A specifically pretty horrific scene of violence towards women, which is hugely problematic, which we'll get into. But yeah, uh, I mean, if if you're the kind of person who can just turn your brain off towards things that are upsetting or uncomfortable to get through a reasonably enjoyable story, um, you, you'll probably like it. If you like noir, I think it pretty solidly runs down the 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 checkbox of this is what a noir story is so you'll probably like it yeah i'd say like if you're looking for an example of some like interesting and by interesting i mean like you know it's it's fairly well done it's not a lot of times not anything new but like for the world building i feel like is the strong suit of this book um you can find similar worlds in other books is it for me what it comes down to is like there are other books that are worth reading and so like if someone were like asking me for a recommendation i have a really hard time putting this book ahead of like any of the other gajillion books i would like to recommend and you know in the sci-fi or the noir or the sci-fi noir category um but yeah it's it's hard for me to recommend this one honestly even though i did enjoy parts of it and i enjoyed the world in which it was set I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I really, really agree with what you just said, Cleo. I feel like it comes down to it's there are things that make it worth recommending, especially if you know what you're getting into and you know you know what you want. And I feel like at this point, you probably know if you want this or not. Um, but yeah, I think that that would be my difficulty recommending it as well. If you're someone who if you're someone who's asking me for a recommendation for this book, I feel like there are other things that I would recommend first. And if you're someone who's read enough of those other things already that you would be getting to this point, I feel like this book would have already been on your radar for a while and you've probably actively made the choice to read it or not. I feel like that's that's probably where I would come down on it. When it, when it comes strictly to a would you recommend, I, I can think of people who would enjoy it, but I can also think of a bunch of other books that I'd probably point them to first. I had not thought about it that way, but that makes that I, I had a whole answer prepared and now I'm just... <laughs> I ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I would I would double down on that. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you've been listening to this for like about half an hour. You probably know whether or not you're interested. I'd say make your call on that. But 
I'd say also do some other research. There's a bunch of really cool similar books. Uh, with that, though, um, we are very excited to announce our next topic, which is... Girls with Gifts. Do we want to do the whole crazy yeah, one? Yep, full title. I Girls, know you want to. I can I, see you. <laughs> God, it's so perfectly alliterative. Thanks, Corinne. You did a real good job. Oh, that's so nice, Corinne. All right, so the full title for our upcoming series is Girls with Gifts Gathered by the Government. Fantastic. God, love it. So for that, we're going to be reading Firestarter yes. by Stephen King. We are going to be watching Stranger Things, which is a big, exciting announcement because it's the first time we've done something quite that long. We played with the Hunger Games trilogy earlier, and that almost broke us. So <laughs> fingers crossed for this one. I think I'm the one at a disadvantage because all of y'all have already seen it, mm -hmm. which yep. makes me one of like the five people on the planet who has not. Right. Um, so that'll be exciting. Uh, and then we are going to be playing Beyond Two Souls. Or as I like to call it, Ellen Page the game. Yeah, almost certainly going to call the episode that. Yep. Yeah, uh, for, for sure. So heads up there. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. We got a lot of kind of new and different stuff going on. I think these are probably the first time that we've done three things that I think are all pretty sizable. My understanding is that Beyond Two Souls is not a short game. I don't think it's if you're not playing it from a super completionist angle, I, I think it's not that bad. pretty typical like action game length where you're you're playing it for like ten to fifteen hours. Okay. Still, in a chunk where we're also doing an entire season of television. Yep. We're gonna see how this goes. Uh this will be a fun experiment for everybody. Eight episodes though. That's true. But eight so, like proper hours, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 You're still looking at, you know, four movies of time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so if you are read watch playing along, uh get started now. Yeah. So, with that, though, we're going to cut into a summary from Justin, and we'll be back in a minute. In the semi-dystopian future of Altered Carbon, human consciousness can be stored digitally and downloaded into new bodies, referred to colloquially as sleeves. Most people have cortical stacks in their spinal columns where their consciousness is stored. If their body dies, their stack can be downloaded and held indefinitely. Most people can afford to be resleeved at the end of their lives, so while even the average citizen could theoretically live indefinitely, most choose not to. Only the wealthy are able to acquire clone bodies to be resleeved in as needed. These people are also able to keep copies of their minds in remote storage, which are backed up regularly. This ensures that even if their stack is destroyed, they can still be resleeved. The ultra-wealthy elite capable of essential immortality through this backup and resleeving are called meths. One such meth, a man named Lorenz Bancroft, has apparently committed suicide and destroyed his own stack in the process. After he is resleeved from a two-day-old backup, he becomes convinced his death was actually a murder and hires Takeshi Kovach to investigate. Kovach is an ex-envoy, a military unit formed to cope with the challenges of interstellar warfare. He's persistently haunted by his memories of the action taken by the Envoy Corps in various battles that he took part in, but most particularly in the Battle of Inanin, in which the Corps suffered extensive casualties after their stacks were infected with a lethal mental virus. He has frequent visions of his friend and fellow soldier Jimmy DeSoto, who stabbed out his own eyes because of the virus. His visions of Jimmy work as a way for Kovach to vocalize his ideas and work through them for the benefit of the reader. Kovach, who becomes a career criminal after the Envoys, is killed in the prologue and digitally stored to serve out a prison sentence. He is decanted and resleeved in a slightly engineered body and whisked away by a police escort, no less, to meet Bancroft. 
At the estate, Kovach sees the police, led by organic damage detective Kristen Ortega, act coldly toward Bancroft and his family. After meeting Lorenz and his wife Miriam, and interviewing them briefly to get up to speed, he sets up shop at an AI-run hotel in the city called The Hendrix. Takeshi's investigation takes him all over the city and into its seediest underbelly. He discovers that Lorenz frequently visits brothels from the most upscale to the downright criminal, and that Miriam had even once violently attacked another woman Lorenz had been with. He has repeated run-ins with criminals who seem to recognize his sleeve, only to later find out he was re-sleeved in the body of a police detective and Kristen Ortega's former lover, Elias Riker. Takeshi eventually gets caught digging for information at one such seedy brothel, Jerry's. He's hauled off to a secret clinic where the man behind Jerry's seems to deal with both dead employees and trespassers. Kovach has his consciousness transferred to a virtuality and is horribly, violently tortured. When the people torturing him realize he's not actually Riker, they try to work a deal and release him to be transferred to their boss. Kovach kills a woman named Trep, who helped capture him, and escapes. After Takeshi goes on the warpath, killing many people at Jerry's and the clinic where he was tortured, he once again runs into Trep while investigating. She convinces him to travel with her to her boss, who will iron everything out. They arrive, and Takeshi discovers the person behind all this is Raylene Kawahara, a crime boss well known to Kovach as he once worked for her. It turns out that Kawahara arranged Bancroft's death, trying to force his hand to turn on a UN resolution that would allow the temporary revival of Catholic stacks to use their testimony in homicide cases. Her brothel, Head in the Clouds, allows men to carry out true-to-life snuff fantasies using Catholic women whose bodies can be disposed of and whose stacks can't be used to testify. She tries to get Kovach to drop his investigation, to come up with a believable story for Bancroft so he'll accept his suicide and back down. Kovach agrees, but only because Kawahara has obtained the consciousness of his former partner in crime, Sarah, and threatens her with unimaginable torture if he doesn't. With the aid of a dipper, a criminal who can tap into the data stream used to send people's consciousnesses around the universe, and some police, again led by Kristen Ortega who is begrudgingly roped into Kovach's schemes, stages the situation at a brothel to convince Bancroft that he succumbed to a mental virus. Knowing that his backup was coming up, he elected to burn out his own stack to prevent the virus from getting back to his stored consciousness. With Bancroft convinced and Kawahara off his back, Kovach sets his real plan into motion. He double-sleeves himself, sending the Riker sleeve off to Miriam Bancroft's private island to accept an earlier illicit sexual offer from her, while the new state-of-the-art enhanced sleeve infiltrates Head in the Clouds to conf confront Kawahara. He enlists the aid of the same dipper from before to slip a virus into one of Kawahara's backups, rendering them useless. Then, aboard her veritable fortress in the sky, Kovach is finally able to kill Kawahara, making her death a real one. Kovach wraps everything up, and Bancroft holds up his end of the deal, paying Kovach and having him re-sleeved upon his return to Harlan's world, his home. Takeshi watches the chaos that unfolds as the UN resolution is passed, and the Catholic woman killed by Bancroft is prepared to testify. He says his goodbyes to the friends and allies he's made in his time on Earth, before being needlecast back to Harlan's world and his new life. Great summary, Justin. <laughs> Thank wow. you. Yeah. yeah, all right. So, specifics. I feel like I just kind of went for a bit in some kind of general stuff. Who has, who has something specific they want to talk about? 
Well, I we talked about this, and I guess I can bring it up as it, you had already mentioned it is the Catholicism thing. Um, All right, never mind. I'm jumping back in. I'm interested in this one. <laughs> the so like, and I I even highlighted it when I was going through this, and it just like the first uh, passage when Ortega is talking to Kovach about Catholicism because Catholicism. Are you going to read a section from the book? I I can on Mike. I I can do this. However, I don't do voice at all. So, um, how do your how does your narration hold up at one point five x? Oh, it doesn't at all. Have um, you guys ever read a passage from a book on I, I think we've done it. Once. I think we did. Yeah. All right. I think it was you. I think I did. Me? Oh, it was you? What? I don't. We might. Who knows? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't listen to this show. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like early, early, like before you were fully on the podcast, but like for the first series that we did. You were super gung ho about it, and you like you had a passage from the book that you wanted to read. For this real, is like I... a this is like a memory that I have. Okay, well, yeah. sure, I did. I, that. It could be I a totally false memory, but uh, it's, value added. It's the memory that I have. Yeah, um, I wasn't planning on reading the passage. You, just, you have your Kindle, and you were like raising it as you were leaning <laughs> into the mic. Well, now you're um, committed. Yeah. Okay, fine. I can I can read the thing. So this is. Um, your your essential introduction to not the character's idea of what Catholicism is, but ob- very obviously what Richard K. Morgan's idea of Catholicism is, right? Yeah. Ortega is explaining to, to Kovach what it is, and she says, Kovach, I hate these goddamn freaks. They've been grinding us down for the best part of two and a half thousand years. They've been responsible for more misery than any other organization in history. You know they won't even let their adherents practice birth control for Christ's sake, and they've stood against every significant medical advance of the last five centuries. Practically the only thing you can say in their favor is that this DHF thing has stopped them from spreading with the rest of humanity. So, like, goddamn. Yikes. That's really that's, interesting. That's militant atheism that, like, like, I used to be that kid. I was that high school kid who was like, oh, God, everybody who practices any form of religion at all is so stupid and blah, blah, Just that, like, moody atheist teenager thing. But, like... I grew out of that. Like, that's not, that's not religion. That's not how it, that's not like the viewpoint is, is to an extent valid and something that I feel like is not necessarily even uncommon in sci-fi specifically, but man, there is some anger there. I I think the thing is most interesting about that is that uh, you specifically refer to it as feeling pretty clearly like Morgan's point of view. And I, had not thought about it that way at all. I took that very strictly as Ortega, but uh, that's that's just me. Don't get me wrong. Like there's a there's a line throughout the book of this, like dealing with the this assumed Catholic response to the whole idea of sleeving, resleeving, etc. Yeah. That that permeates the entire thing. But yeah, no, I and I think to me is the thing is that like. It even it even doesn't feel entirely invalid. I can totally understand somebody who's lived on Earth their entire life in this time period feel and being a cop feeling the way Ortega does about Catholicism. I can totally see it. Um, but there's just the, the way that he more or less treats it throughout the book leads me to believe this is also, this is like how he projects Catholicism being if the world were to progress from here to there. And I, again, I don't even necessarily disagree with the points because like the Catholicism that exists in the earth of this book feels like how I can 
pretty easily imagine Catholicism being in a world where these things have started happening, but it's just portrayed with this, like, it's just vitriol. Like, it's just kind of vicious. Yeah, I I only ever really considered the angle of Catholicism, like, strictly in regards to the characters who were talking, and at this point, effectively treated it as, like, a fictional religion. Yeah. Uh, but I, at the same time, though, he explicitly did not call it something else. You know, he called it Catholicism. Right. And I mean, that might have been... Choice. And again, I mean, it might be me putting more on it than than I think I should, because realistically, like, he could have set up some other religion or made it some other thing. But at the same time, if he's going to create the story where Earth is central and it's a future Earth, then it does make sense that Catholicism is the religion. And setting up a fake religion would almost feel kind of like a cop-out. Like, it would feel a little... It, it would feel very different. I and I don't know if it's different. better or worse. Yeah, I don't know either. And again, I, I didn't, like... I'll be the first. I didn't engage a lot with that part of it. It never felt to me like a whole lot more than just kind of another cog in the story that that made the whole thing work. Like, it felt like a plot device, right? Yeah. Like, just the amount of times that a character's Catholicism specifically creates the reason why they cannot be resleeved. Right. Or, like, it adding like consequences for real death or the whole purpose for the bill that is like the the secret MacGuffin for this entire story right right but yeah so it always just felt like such a plot device to me most of the time that i i just personally did not engage with it as a potential like illustration of the author's point of view so i can't really speak to that i can't say whether you're putting more or less on it because i just didn't it always just felt like such a plot point to me i think it's something that i that I see that way a little more easily, if only because I used to feel that way and I don't any longer because it's something that you should grow out of. In my opinion, it's, it's really immature. Um, and so I see when I see things like this, they like jump out at me in a way that I feel like they don't necessarily to a lot of people. Yeah. I feel like I was almost thinking about it more like some kind of, extreme Scientology type thing than actual Catholicism, even though, like, obviously he did make the choice of, like, oh, no, it's, like, this new, like, kind of new age religion version of, like, some mix of, you know, yeah, Christian beliefs and, like, other stuff. It's, like, he made that choice, and if you're going to, like, call something something, <laughs> then, I mean, that's not insignificant. It also, I don't know, it... Ortega is very definitively of either Spanish or Hispanic descent, um, which, you know, spoiler alert, very Catholic in, in her, like, family history. So it feels like if he was really... I, I very much agree with Justin that this feels like the author's point of view being made very, very starkly by a character, but maybe he could have picked a different character to do it, or maybe he just wasn't thinking that a character of hispanic descent like having such vitriol against catholicism would be a little weird i mean we do have there are, we're looking at like 500 years of distance between sure now and then yeah that would be my counterpoint to that which again is not to say that it wouldn't create those uh ties to a modern reader but but yeah it's yeah. like to me and and sort of like cleo when you said you were looking at it as like sort of almost an extremist like Scientology sort of thing was like how you picked up on it. It was, it made me think, I mean, we are talking about 500 years of distant difference and we're talking about 500 years in which we have spread out as a, as a society actually out into the stars. Like people think we should and will and, 
and all of this. And it almost makes sense to me that in a future where sleeving and resleeving is a thing and where people are needle cast from like, you know, inner interplanetary needle casts and their consciousness is just thrown thousands of light years away. And, and all th this is a world where we look at our current world and atheism is already on the rise, right? This is a world where the only faction of Catholicism that might still exist might be sort of like evangelical or like hard and fast Catholics, right? And the kinds of people that we see in this book representing Catholicism as a whole could in this world, and it's never just made explicit, be sort of like the last dregs of people like clinging to Catholicism, the kinds of people who who would believe it in a more steadfast way than than like the people we think of as just like Catholic today. The the more extreme viewpoints. Right. Much. Yeah. But I, I think that it actually creates a really interesting uh, comparison to the other sort of quasi-religion. It, it's I don't know that I would call it a religion. Again, this is just because of the relatively scant details we get about it. But the whole ideas of uh, Quell on Harlan's world, right? Yeah. That um, Kovach references a few times and a few other characters seem aware of that feels much more like a... I don't, almost more of like a Confucianism kind of a thing. Yeah. It seems like it's much more political, but there's also a certain like it, you get this impression right that quell was sort of this very inspirational person right and that her teachings are being passed on and forward and being applied to all sorts of other things yeah that kind of religion where you can point to an actual live human being who like said this stuff and we're like yep no we just thought that this person was like pretty super cool yeah. and Qu there's no real divinity to it but pretty neat huh yeah said some good stuff quotable quell is kind of like a like I, I the closest like real figure I can I can relate them to is like I, I feel like Ayn Rand. Except Rand did all of established all of her objectivist ideals in fiction and Quell is more so like a like a sort of a straight up philosopher. I mean, I think that's that's why to me Quell feels most like specifically Confucius, right? Yeah. And the whole belief structure of Confucianism. Yeah, um, it's if you yeah, if you were to blend like Confucius with like a general yeah because yeah. quill is very much about rebellion and like yes. and militaristic thinking so if we had like a like a, a mili or militaristic yeah confucianism we'd have quell but i mean well not totally different from the way some people reference the art of war i guess yeah but you know better than that <laughs> i'm on record as saying the more often someone quotes that the less likely i am to want to spend time with them <laughs> But it's pretty fair. Yeah. I, you know, just not just less likely not to say that they're not someone I want to hang out with, but yeah, I've found less. a correlation. Yeah. Um, I do like the Quell stuff. Oh, I agree. Uh, I thought, and that it's, it's like, it's like Morgan is trying to put on his like best. He like puts his best sort of like poetic style into all of the stuff he does for Quell and like kind of pulls it off in my opinion anyway. Yeah. Or at least, you know, satisfactorily. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's the kind of thing where though, but to compare it to the Catholicism on earth, it's the sort of thing that almost makes me wish that he had not opted to call it Catholicism. Um, one of those things where I think it like might've been better. It would have felt like, I mean, you know, it, it feels like one of those instances where even if these are his actual opinions, which I think is not a fair, not an unfair assumption. I just tend to take, kind of the more author is dead standpoint yeah um but uh, that's just a personal thing it's just the way i like to interact with literature 
but it's the kind of thing that would have made me be like, yeah, no, like it, even if this is what the author thinks, calling it actual Catholicism then becomes one of those things where it's like, yeah, but this feels like explaining to me why your world is cool. I feel like then if you had called it something else, I, I don't think it would have felt disingenuous. I think it would have been then up to the reader to make that connection. Now, if that's a connection that is, you know, good or fair is kind of beyond the scope of this particular point, but at least let your reader be like, oh, this seems like he's making a point about real world religions as opposed to being like, no, see, real world. I feel like that, I guess that's where I'm going to land on that. I also thought it would, was kind of weird that Catholics, whatever, you know, whatever extremist faction or non-extremist faction you want to say would be the only ones yeah. to hold this view. It feels like some other sort of of unifying belief should have become this thing. And, oh yeah, it's like 70% Catholics, but then also like these other like groups from these you know old world religions have also filtered into this overarching idea that is you know the essentialism of the soul and a single like a single bodied experience is the only true experience or something like that yeah i'd agree with that that i think that that's another really good point that's that's what makes it feel weird again that he didn't just call it like because that's the thing he could have just called it anything else right yeah and if he wanted, instead of making it a, a fake religion and distancing the earth of this book from the earth of, you know, reality, mm -hmm. um, he could have called it something else that was essentially a movement, not a religion. And it was made up of an amalgam of the the religions that would all buy into this, which is pretty much all of them. Yeah. I mean, but, it, it does seem like the kind of thing where I feel like also... Uh, uh, Corinne to something that you said I remember the first time I came up I'm just like oh so like are there gonna be like other religions in the book as well and then there just aren't and I'm like okay which is part of why I was like okay got it plot device he's mm -hmm. not actually trying to speak to religion it's a plot device because if you were trying to speak to religion we would have more than just Catholicism because you know unless he's very specifically trying to speak against Catholicism which is the read that Justin and I got yeah which yeah. is fair um but so it was the kind of thing where I was like oh well yeah, so I guess that's the thing for me. Is it, To me, like, also, yeah, calling it Catholicism, I completely agree. It does make it feel really weird that there aren't, like, you know, Protestants or, you know, Jewish well, people yeah, or like, Muslim where, people. Yeah, like, where are the Orthodox Jews who I feel would have a problem with this? Or even even just cut out the who would have a problem with this. If we're going to talk about the religions that are there, where, is where, is, where are the other ones, period? Yeah, even if they've started adopting it, like... Yeah, like, who cares what they think about it? I just... They don't mention any other religion, period. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's one of the big, it feels like it and the, pulls the, in so many things that don't get touched. I guess the, the read of that would be he's building a world that has, that has become almost wholly atheist by this point. And in which case the it only, becomes weirdly Western centric. Yeah. The, the only remaining religion has like ended up being Catholicism. It was like the only religion that, that people ended up clinging to. After, you know, five centuries was Catholicism. And to me, that's, I mean, that's on the one hand, maybe kind of valid, but on the other hand, not really. Like religion might be more or less eradicated in this earth of the future, but there would still be every, I feel like every major religion would still have some representation. And even if it's not, I feel like it's just the kind of thing where at some point you need to say that. It, just it, establish it. Yeah, yeah just to get rid of the kind of, like, that seems weird that we're down to one. Mm -hmm. But if you were to come in and just be like, yep, we're down to one, and that's the way the world works because I'm the author and I'm God. Like, I get to shape this world as I want. There's one religion and they all worship this sci-fi author from the early 21st century. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, however you want to do that, right? And she's yeah. like, yeah, no, like, it's, 
I feel like at that point you just need to make the call. I guess is where. Yeah. That does feel weird. I have yeah. kind of like a personal question for y'all. Oh my god, sorry. That the y'all I don't know where I've been spending too much time in Texas. Um if I think I know what Justin's answer to this is going to be, but if you could live in this world and have like a stack and do like you know, have multiple sleeves and kind of live that life, would you choose to do that? Or would you like feel like, no, it's not like my consciousness actually oh. going into me personally? Fuck yeah. Being yeah. able to like, Karen and I are of the same mind. On being this. able to go into different bodies would solve a lot of gender issues for me. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. And whereas I don't, I don't suffer from, from a, any kind of gender dysphoria. I suffer from, I mean, not suffer, but I experience a lot of insane curiosity yeah. about what it would mean to live in different bodies and different body types. And the idea of consciousness being like consciousness and a soul being linked strictly to your own like flesh and blood is is not something I really consider. Um, I would not only like. Not only would I be the kind of person who would like be almost excited to become a meth in this world. I'm the kind of person who would be a meth who wouldn't have a single established body who would probably jump between several different kinds of clones. Yeah. That kick ass. I also like the idea of uh, solving the problem of immortality, but not over and also not contributing to overpopulation by virtual, by digitizing uh, consciousness. James. Yeah. I, I think I would. I, I'm not going to lie as someone who has brought up whether or not you die when you go to sleep. Um, god damn it we're back to this it like there is a certain like freaky element to it right freaky is maybe the wrong but like you know kind of scary element to it right that sort of just like okay well i know that the me that's gonna wake up in that body is going to think it's been around for a while that i'm the me pre that body so maybe like i'm just going to cease to be but i i think no i i think i would do it i i think there's a whole host of reasons why it would be interesting useful helpful for so many things but um i think continuity of consciousness is 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 established well enough in this story that i don't have those same kind of concerns when at the end when there's two copies of him and they have to decide which one lives that's when it right <laughs> that's when it fucks me up but but on based on the assumption of continuity of consciousness uh well barring the I'm going to remotely upload my consciousness in case I die, and then I will die, but my other consciousness will download into a clone and be fine. That also gets a little weird, but based on the assumption of continuity of consciousness. as yeah. Without being a meth with remote backup or somebody like Trep, right, who lost like almost a month yeah. of, of time being killed by Kovach the first time, for like any any number of people who like, like your average person who can afford to be resleeved like maybe once, right? Or can afford to be resleeved once per lifetime if they manage to live a lengthy life in each sleeve. Um, the idea that you're just going from body to, bo to body to body always in a forward, like a forward momentum, right? You're not jumping around and you're not double sleeving. You're not like any of that nonsense. It's to me well-established enough that those existential thoughts just never really hit me. Right. In the same way that because I, right now we're just so intrinsically tied to our bodies and, and our sense of self and our bodies are are very much the same. Whereas if we lived in this world, I can adequately buy that that way of thinking would have died out long time ago. So like maybe living in in the world where this concept was first happening and like 
I'm one of the first people who who dies after having a stack put in, right? And I just get spun up in a virtuality by the cops, and they figure all this out, and then I get resleeved, and I'll, like maybe that would fuck me up. Yeah, I mean, I think that that would I, that was going to be my follow up qualifier was that I I don't think it necessarily changes my answer, but it would be a much harder decision given the difference between we develop you know ten years from now we develop this technology, right? And it's okay, would I try it then versus? 10 years before you were born we developed this technology like that's or 100 years before you were born we do it's like i feel like yeah those are those are big right important differences there for like how i would have to think about it um i don't know i guess for me that that idea though of that that continuity of consciousness is assumed doesn't seem quite as quite as solid that whole idea right that you can you can die and be restored from your backup and like i mean you toss around like losing a month right that's not that's you didn't just lose a month right like that that other you that didn't get like backed up ceased to be. Yeah. Right. And that other when, when you was me for a while, right? right? When your consciousness becomes just data, it it becomes this sort of very interesting conundrum, right? I mean, it feels like that's not necessarily me, that's my legacy, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's my legacy will get to move forward. I as opposed to like me, the consciousness that lives in like that lives in this body. Yeah, because that that consciousness is dead. Yeah. Right. You are being restored from a backup of that consciousness that is three weeks old. Yeah. And like, that's not your consciousness. That's where I get into the idea of like backups being the issue, right? Yeah. Backups create, keep the existential problem of sleeving and resleeving pretty effectively. Yeah. Um, whereas if you are a consciousness stored in a single stack and that stack is that data of that stack is moved around from stack to disk to virtuality out back to another stack in a new sleeve. Yeah. Like that loop is totally fine for yeah. me. But once you get into like the backups, then it becomes, we okay. get right back to existential horror, just like we always yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's almost a pretty hard. No, I would not want to, because I don't feel safe assuming continuity of consciousness. And like, cause for me, it would be like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool to experience all these things? It'd be like, no, I would die. And somebody else gets to experience, you know, something and then they die and the next one it gets to experience the next something right. and for reasons like so for, from like a oh wouldn't it be cool to experience that kind of viewpoint no like that's not what would motivate me to like agreeing to do that to myself the only things i can think of that would motivate me to is like okay what if something happens to me but they're like people i need like the me like i need to take care of or like you know mm -hmm. be around for and, you know, they'll know it's not really me. It wasn't, it's not the old me, but it's something that's, like, close enough and who feels the same sense of responsibilities, has the knowledge that I have. Like, I would like to leave somebody, you know, else, a clone of myself basically behind if I could to, like, take up, up like, where I left off um, n without the assumption that, you know, this is the exact same consciousness. Like, it's a different person. Um, and I guess the other, other reason that I could potentially see a benefit from this. It's like, if you're doing, you know, if you're working on a project, you're working on something that's, you know, really long-term and you're the person who's been working with this, you know, like, let's say this is something that we talked about with replay, like, Oh, we're trying to find a cure for cancer. Right. Yeah. And like, you have all that experience and all that stuff is in your brain. And it's not stuff that necessarily can be translated into just like pure data, like on a, like a spreadsheet. It's something that, you know, you've built an intuition about it based on like little things that you couldn't necessarily name and therefore it would be important for like you as a person to continue working on this project and then i could see like you know the value in that right but just as a like and i keep thinking i kept thinking back to soma that game when we were I never actually oh, played it yeah so it, it it tackles a lot of the same 
like ideas about consciousness and like transferring bodies and like you know where does your soul go can you like mm. tell your soul yo inhabit like this guy now um that's like i haven't finished it but i think that's also a primary conceit in the swapper right it depends on how you read it okay i am not familiar a swapper doesn't have a lot of explicit narrative it's a lot of implicit yeah uh, drawing conclusions from stuff so it that's kind of it depends on how you read it it's a do you know I, the the swapper is a puzzle game where you can create up to three clones of yourself and and move your consciousness around between the clones essentially um but they will also die at intermittent points either because they have to for for reasons or because you walk through a field that like disables clones and they all just die yeah. and like that kind of, and so there's a lot of the community around the game talks about that stuff yeah all right Let's talk about violence against women. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we got to this. Yeah. Oh, God. So this is this was, like, the main reason that I stopped. Um, and there were a few points, you know, because it's not, like, one incident. There's, like, several things. Uh, and every time I was, like, maybe I, like, don't want to read this anymore. But then I would pick it back up. And eventually I just, like, got violence against women fatigue and could not continue with all... Specifically in light of recent events. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, the main blow to my like ability to read this book was like there's a torture sequence yep. where he is t- basically he's like in virtual reality right yep. yeah um, but still physically feels like you know his brain he's like if he physically feels the pain and is experiencing everything still it's he's just like not in his own he's not in the Riker sleep he's in right it's 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 all mental but it's it's all happening. it's all real like yeah. it's it's th- this is the kind of thing where like in virtuality the time doesn't pass the same way right and and all this kind of stuff they establish in the book and that like it's it's real torture that he experiences mentally and will always have the memory of but obviously it doesn't like physically happen right yeah and like like super trigger warning right now for you know descriptions of violence against women i'm not going to go into like super detail but the thing that like happens is well including specifically if this is this would be a problem for you that others might be less of a problem but including like not sexual violence but sexualized violence i would say sexual violence because okay so he's put into the sleeve of a woman specifically specifically to be tortured because and there's a weird description which makes me feel weird about like the author a little bit like oh yeah women experience the world different let's talk there's a whole passage about women experiencing the world differently differently because their bodies are like you know, they feel more sensations and they're more in touch with like things. And, it like, was, it, it very much read as I'm going to, I'm going to say nice things about women to explain why this is happening. And the end result is going to be the main torture scene of the book is against a woman's body. Yeah. yeah. And it's also it's, like the mystifying of a woman a little bit like, oh, yeah. like, elevate, like it's not sexist if I'm like elevating them to this like spiritual height, you know, it's, yeah. But it's say super weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it's it's to me it's like one it's weird. Two it's once you look at it you understand it's this rational rationalizing of what he's about to do for plot reasons. But it's just it's so hard for me to look at somebody who can in the same bra- in the same breath like describe women as the race. Right? He's like the idea that like women are what humans are supposed to be and men are just something else. And to that like. If you take strip that out, it's it's this this almost wholly feminist and kind of okay ideal, except for the fact that the rest of it is is this 
I guess mystifying, right, is yeah. the word that you used. It's probably the right word. Just sort of like this, con- this like the putting on the pedestal of, right? It's like yeah. he does that in order to make it okay to do what he does, and it doesn't make it okay. Yeah, and like I wouldn't even necessarily call like if, even if he just left it at that and without any of the violence, like I wouldn't necessarily call that feminism because it's, it's- not. It's not feminism. It's like weird. It's back in the Victorian age when like the when women were forced to be pure beings, pure chaste non-sexual being. Like it's god, it's more it's like a separate it's more of a divide than like, yeah. you know, an You're you're still othering women. You're putting them in this weird place where they they can't be human. They can't have flaws. They can't, you know, you you can't just generalize an entire group of people and say they're perfect and you you can't just generalize an entire group of people and say they're the worst. You can't do either things because they're both terrible and lead to confinements in different ways. Yeah. Sure, one of them seems out like ostensibly better, but you know, it's still the othering thing yeah. going on. God. And like and that scene just like I mean given is not Okay, it's so basically like what happens is like one of the worst things that happens is like a hot iron is like inserted into his vagina yes and it's like a very passive and and it's just and i think and again it was like another one of those things where it's like oh let's see you know noir is gritty noir is violent like what's the worst thing that we can do let's do that because that's the edgy thing yeah i just like wasn't and that wasn't and like that wasn't the thing even like there was something later on after that that was i was like finally i just can't like do this anymore but that was you know See, I I just assumed that the torture scene was the was your quit moment. My quit moment came shortly after um, Bancroft talking about like, have you ever come in a woman's face? Like, have you ever come in a woman's face? Like in that whole speech. I had completely forgotten about that one. Oh yeah, I briefly went on TV tropes for this, and like Bancroft was very specifically described as having a Madonna whore complex, and it's like, yeah, that's very accurate yeah. Yeah, women can sure. either be it's again it's what happens with the victorian idea of of purity of women it's the it's what happens is that women can either be these perfectly pure beings or they are whores and that's that's the thing it's like if he had established bancroft as a character who thought and felt that way and this was like an inherent flaw in that character it would be an ugly but almost acceptable thing but the presence of the torture scene and the rationalization that he gives of it almost it, it it taints the whole book with essentially that trope and kovach doesn't even like ever really feel like oh my god like this is gross he like he doesn't it's, he doesn't it's, reflect on it in any way it's I mean, written like, off as like it would have broken me if i wasn't an envoy because right, we like, had training to deal with this it's like yeah. the idea that they can compartmentalize, right? And so yeah. I experience it in the moment, and then once I'm out of it, I compartmentalize it away so I don't have to think about it anymore because it would drive me insane. And it's like, while on the one hand, that's something that I'm I'm almost okay buying for any kind of torture. On the other hand, this is a kind of torture that needs to be addressed. And not only that, but he then forms this weird camaraderie-type friendship with Trep, the person specifically responsible for torturing him. Trep lose it, right? Well, Trep wasn't. Trep did not personally like. Trep was not any of the people in the virtualization. Okay, Trep was. Trep is the one who delivers him there. Delivers him for like. Trep is the overseer of this. Yeah. Of this operation. Trep is the one who was ordered to 
do this, but is, you know, the, the highest authority at that location overseeing this, this whole thing. Yeah. And he hates her enough to like flat out murder her in like in the car once he he's being delivered to to Raylene the first time and, yep. and escapes but then she comes back around and he's like yeah, I don't really I don't know if I'm gonna like you and then they start working together and then they and just she's build like this, oh like, yeah I, I just lost the past month because that's when my last backup was I don't remember anything you know no hard, no with, hard feelings yeah, on no my hard feelings. and and then he's like doesn't buy into it right away but still does pretty quickly and that's just like yeah it's it's very weird and distasteful overall. And then you have like women getting fridged everywhere, right? Like yep. Sarah at the first chapter, or not even the first chapter, before the first chapter in like a prologue situation where she's just like. And that's the thing. It would, if she wasn't, this was the thing that was so frustrating to me is that she becomes the motivating factor for Raylene manipulating Kovach into doing anything. And like, if that hadn't happened to me, it doesn't become fridging until that moment. Yeah, I can see that. And and that's the thing. It's like, this was his partner in crime. Maybe they were close. Maybe they weren't. Although they established that closeness in the prologue. But they both died. And he gets decanted for a specific reason. But otherwise, they were both in. They were both on storage for, for the, the same length of time for the same set of crimes. But for her to be brought back in to be this point of emotional manipulation, it completely changes the context of like their shared death. Mm-hmm. and just ruins it there are a surprising amount of female characters in this book pretty much all of whom are treated very badly yeah by yeah. the book miriam bancroft is described only by like you know being sexualized pretty much like her breasts are mentioned that was like that your, was that was yeah. when i came into slack and i was like man i really would like to read a book that just does not use the word breasts at all yeah it it talks about them quite a lot and that yeah. whole like first sex scene between them god was just not like first of all just kind of gross super gross and second off i like i understand not wanting to use the word vagina or the word penis but why in god's name is your chosen word cunt and like i understand this guy's british but why in god's name is your chosen word cunt also like she's written like literally her sleeve was made with like what's that drug something nine merge, merge nine, merge nine. Yeah, that what that also occurred to me which is like it reminded me again to replay like machine for fucking like that oh, phrase like Jesus it's like and the oh. thing is he tries to portray it as like oh well this is a weapon of hers this is what she uses and it's like no 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 you're literally dehumanizing her by doing this it's like if she was a remotely complex character who played the people around her it would almost maybe work but she's never given any element of depth here's here's the problem with that here's the problem with that in my opinion the something that could it would still be cringy but something that would have at least made it less problematic was if she had said i can choose to secrete this drug when i am aroused yeah instead it was whenever i am aroused I secrete this drug. It's not, it's not, I, in, I enjoy this experience and want to have autonomy over when I experience. It is, I have turned my, I have turned myself into a sex toy. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, there's this implication that it is still her choice because I mean, yes, within the confines of the narrative, it was her choice to do this, but not like, yes, that lacking, the lack of that distinction is. Yeah. Hugely problematic. Yeah. Oh, God. 
to bring it back to something that we were talking about a little bit earlier, I think that in addition to obviously everything that's already been said, but I think the other weird thing about that scene, and there are many, is that it does feel like, at least to me, one of the more egregious examples of box checking for this for like a, a noir thing, right? Yeah. Like this is this is the sex scene with the femme fatale character. Yep. And it's one of the bigger boxes that I don't know really advances the story in a lot of ways. It's not that it doesn't, right? Like there's it, important information that's part of that and some of the things that get said there end up playing into stuff later, uh, particularly her her offer. Um, her to, offer like, to go literally out to her just island. be his sex toy even more. Yeah. With multiple versions of her, like her clones. Right. Yeah. Like it does end up being brought in later and is relevant, but it is the kind of thing where overall I I think the thing for me that made it just like that one extra step of gross was um I didn't even feel like there was any real effort to justify it. It seemed like it was there to to be there. I don't yeah, know that there's a lot of ways you could justify it, but it it on top of that it felt just kind of like awkward and superfluous, which is certainly not its biggest crime but i do think kind of ties it into that broader conversation we were having earlier about the fact that the book overall does feel like something that you would go into with just a list of i don't like a like a printout from the wikipedia page of just like okay what it is to be noir and you're going through and it's just like okay like a broody protagonist check who is generally not a police officer right check we've got a femme fatale check we've got you know someone who is pressured into solving some sort of mystery via outside means check and we've got that that person generally uses less than less than savory methods to go about solving the case check and you're just like you've got kind of the you've got the police officer who's trying to do things a bit more by the book and who is like a little bit corrupt check it's like okay now we've got other corrupt cops check and we've got like all these like broken systems check 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 but like that's one of the big things for me it's like on top of all of those other things it feels like Again, just yet another thing that's just there to have it because yeah. it feels like there's some obligation. One of the sort of related things that really gets to me is is Ortega, right? He he goes out of his way to create this like actually dynamic and interesting and smart character and then does exactly to her what he did to, to Bancroft. She's just another object to to push for like she ties him to the sleeve and she just kind of exists to push forward this emotional like through line of of what because like Miriam is is straight up a like a, a sex object basically and Ortega ends up being the other side of that coin where she is like the emotional connection that he's forming in the book and he's not really forming it because he goes out of his way to explain the connections that sleeves can feel to each other and how pheromones still play into blah 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 nonsense but the the fact that she ends up getting reduced to this like not lover but like love interest and and just like this other person that he ends up having sex with is like it it, it could have been so much better yeah mm. let's shift gears very quickly because i want to mention how fascinating i find it that in this world you can use a hotel as like a base of criminal operations oh yeah the, the <laughs> hendrix is one of my favorite like characters yeah in the book like it's an ai run hotel that is generally shielded from like police surveillance and will do whatever it takes to like satisfy its guests like i mean kovach i think is a is like an extenuating circumstance because he's staying there indefinitely 
and has a rich benefactor that the AI knows about because it is a character that thinks for itself, right? And so is like willing to do all of this essentially criminal stuff for Kovach because it will keep him there. I think there was a line in the, the book, money flowing in. It was a line in the book that said uh, hotel AIs are programmed to want guests like people want sex. Yeah. 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 It's literally getting off yes. on like providing him a Hilton-esque service. <laughs> but yeah, just, I mean, the fact that the Hendrix like literally does criminal things for him just because like he just asks for it and the Hendrix is like, yeah, I mean, it might be a little problematic for me to do this and they've already requisitioned my records, but you know, why not? Yeah. I feel like there was another point in the book where it was mentioned that he was the only guest at the Hendrix. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. seems really weird to me, but okay. okay. And like Ortega, I think, talks a little bit about how like the AI run hotels are more, have almost all gone out of business and that people aren't really using them as much anymore, but something is keeping the Hendrix up and running is like, I think, how they explain that away. The Hendrix reminds me a little bit in like, Fallout New Vegas, there are the robots who you interact with, and never mind. This might be the the Yes Man robots. Yeah, right? Yes Man, and then like also the cowboy dude. Yeah. Um, or it's just like because you you're there is like a little bit of not the hotel, but there's like a casino you can stay in there, right? And like yeah, so it's like trying really really hard to please you, but also there's like a little bit of a glimpse of kind of annoyance behind it. Yep. <laughs> All right, happy topic done. Now let's talk about something else that is i guess more a complaint i guess kovach um kovach's bouts of conscious seemed to be mighty convenient to me his his like bouts of like feeling bad about stuff never really quite felt genuine in my opinion this is like what we were talking about on the on the way over right? yeah how like he i described him as this like weirdly occasionally caring uncaring individual where like he is portrayed so much of the time as somebody who's very separate from all of the people around him. And his, you know, his time as an envoy has sort of done these things to him where he really just genuinely doesn't care for other people, which is a fine character trait for somebody like this to have, except it's wildly inconsistent. Yeah. Because there are just these times where, and I mean, there are people who he built personal relationships, right? Again, Sarah is this, this person that he had worked with for a long time and formed a genuine relationship with. And so he did care about her. Which was, again, used terribly. But it it makes sense that he can form those kinds of relationships, sure. But for him to, like, randomly decide that he cares about certain people outside of Ortega, who, again, is, like, written off in a weird way. Yeah, and at the end when he's like, I just, I really want there to be something clean out of all of this. I'm just like, do you? You straight up, like, super murdered, like, 20 people. Just because you were just angry. Cause, yeah, just because you were pissed off. Like, yeah. not wasn't your envoy murder. training just real... supposed to compartmentalize that? Like, yeah. where was the car compartmentalization there? He he went on a huge murder spree, and was there was no fallout from that at all. Nope. And he took out two, one legal established. That's the thing. Like Jerry's is is like grimy and and crummy but it's legal everything that jerry's did was legal i mean there were things that happened inside jerry's that were not legal but the business operated more or less legally yeah and the way clinic was widely illegal but that just how did what he just went on a he just went on a murder ramp rampage and had no consequences for it and didn't didn't he like wasn't the argument he got into with ortega afterwards 
didn't that directly lead into making out with her? Yeah, that was yeah, another weird thing. That scene. was the thing. It's like he's li- she's livid because she's gotten the Hendrix record. She's seen him fucking Marion Bancroft. Oh, wait. No, that might and be And the... she sees him come back with Miller's head from the oh, way clinic yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And she's yelling at him about all of this. And like, how do you think you can get away with killing all these people in the way clinic now that we have evidence that you've taken a stack and you've DHF'd a person, blah, blah, blah. And in the middle of all of this, they like tussle over the remote because somehow the TV, the video of him fucking Miriam starts playing. And then immediately after they tussle for the remote, they're making out. Yeah. And then have sex. Yep. Well, it's yeah. not I even mean, like it, it just... leads immediately into this like explicitly physical sexual interaction, right? But that's the other thing about like it's a thing with sci-fi, it's a thing with noir. Like Raymond Chandler's books definitely have this issue where it's like it's assumed that every female character is just attracted to the protagonist regardless yep. of like any like anything else. Like just because they're the protagonist, every woman is going to be drawn to him. Yep. And it's like, it's a problem with sci-fi. It's a problem with noir for sure. And combine the two and it's a disaster. Yeah, apparently. I would love to see something in which that is a plot point. We're like, that's the, that's the protagonist's problem. That would be amazing. For whatever reason, the sci-fi is that they are so ungodly attractive (laughs) (laughs) that everyone, they can't have like a regular conversation. They can't get through. Everyone just immediately tries to flirt with them and tries to make things happen. Or just, just literally throws themselves at just them. Just every conversation just turns into sex. It's like, I really just want to get these tax forms settled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's just all them trying to do regular everyday stuff as they work towards some way to make themselves less, like, ridiculously attractive. No, I don't want you to take care of that for me. I want you to legally file my tax forms. <laughs> I don't want the IRS coming after me. Yes. I feel like I feel like there's a pretty decent spoof yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Maybe not there's a, a long good there's one. a good short story to be had there. Yeah. Or like a you know, the equivalent of like a Derek comedy sketch. Sure. Anyway, uh I just really didn't like that um Kovach uh all of Kovach's over the top insane sociopathic violence was always somehow justified. Like all of his violence was justified and justifiable by the books like like not not just by him, but by the world he was in. Yeah, it's it's just so weird to me that, like... And, I mean, he killed bad people, right? But the thing is, is he killed, like, people who were just working in a bad system. Yeah. And that's the thing that I feel like needed to be more addressed. Like, killing Jerry. Killing some... Killing the guys who who beat and assaulted him and killed Louise and, and were part of all of that. Killing the heads of like killing somebody like Miller who headed up something as like terrible as the way clinic. Those are the kinds of things that happen in a book like this that can be pretty easily rationalized. And it's like, okay, this is the violence that's going to happen in the book, but these are the genuinely bad people that he's killing. And we're supposed to not necessarily sympathize with them, but he literally just straight up assassinates like regular people who just have who, you know, whose lives have put them in a point where they, they can't work anywhere else, right? Regular, like, doctors who are working at the way clinic for whatever reason are just, like, he just guns them down viciously. Someone brings it up later on in the book, and he's just like, yeah, well, it fucking sucks to be them, I guess. Basically, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, like, he says never it in the, addressed again. He says it in the moment where, like, he he kills what, like, to demonstrate to Jerry how serious he is, he, like, RDs one of his guards, and he's like, dude, that was just one of my fucking security guys. And he's like, well, it shouldn't have worked for you. And it's like, that's the kind of thing you expect in this moment. That's what you're, that's what this character is going to do. 
but for to carry that on to like killing a dozen people who really in no rational way deserve it and then to not have that come back at him in any way yep is just which again my to my point is why his bouts of conscious just seem so like not genuine and yeah. And it, it felt to me like they only existed to make readers feel sympathy for him. Yeah. I mean, to make him more of a, yeah, to make him a genuinely sympathetic person, someone who you can relate to in some way because he feels things, except he, he doesn't. doesn't. He doesn't feel things. This book has lots of problems. Yeah. Any final thoughts? None of the characters in this book are good or treated well. The plot line is derivative and just checks off a bunch of boxes a lot of world building decision the world the world building itself is cool and interesting a lot of decisions are very problematic and weird i will say that the mystery is engaging sure yeah like i think it's, it's, it's a bit of a windy road but i think that it it comes together in an interesting way the the justifications are interesting it you might not understand all the pieces as you're going but like it, i feel like it it does a pretty good job in the end of you get the core of the plot you might not remember how everyone played into it but you can and i think that even in and of itself is another noir trope box being checked yeah not i don't mean it in a bad way but just like to say it's like a sufficiently complex plot behind the thing being investigated because otherwise it's not interesting enough yeah right is very much also a noir tactic yeah i i do like how it wrapped up and i think the not the the story of the novel itself, but the story of the murder of Bancroft yeah. is interesting. I'd agree with that. And I mean, I think it's it in the context of the world that was built. Uh, I think that it's kind of a neat twist on sort of a locked room yeah. mystery. It's not explicitly a locked room, but it's it's close enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, things like that are, are worth pointing out. It's I don't think that those things make up for the other things. And it's part of why, again, going back to our recommendations phase. I think it's a lot of why I really agree with Cleo and say that like I those things are good, but there are things that are comparably good that don't have these other things that kind of drag it down. But I don't know. In the interest of credit where credit is due, I, I think that that's worth pointing out. I feel like that's kind of the big. And again, you know, not to harp on it, the world is is interesting. There are interesting world building decisions that were made that play into things in interesting ways. It feels it feels largely like the stuff interacts pretty well. It's not just like here's five interesting ideas that never really touch each other, and all of them are in my world. You know, it feels like kind of thought through to those degrees. I feel like that's that's yeah. a success. When I when I talked to Crit about this earlier this week, I I just kind of summed it up as like a really well made world in which we're told a very flawed and poorly executed story. That's fair. Like he he put a lot of effort into like making the world real, right? I mean, b- basically everything like there isn't anything that feels like weirdly in isolation or like just like a point that he wanted to bring up and something that he wanted to have in the world. He pretty expertly make sure that everything sort of meshes into a believable setting for for all of this yeah i did have this thought a few times uh during some of the cooler world building moments where i thought this would make a good setting for like an mmo yeah absolutely because with like the reese leaving whole situation that could like lead to some interesting stuff it'd be a way better video game than a book yeah wow (laughs) when have we said that and uh, i mean oddly enough that he went on from the acclaim of these books to uh, write a video game. Oh, okay. really? Crisis 2. Oh. oh. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of disappointing, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I guess it makes sense, though. That's an established world in which shitty stories get told. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. He couldn't. He didn't get to establish his own world. He just got to play in somebody else's sandbox, which just means it kind of suffers from all the flaws. That this yeah, book he is. got to take literally all of the worst things about this and not let him do any of that. Ah, it sucks. Yep. So basically, we need Richard K. Morgan to write his own video game. Crisis 2, everybody. Oh, need. Need is a strong word. Need. Yeah, need is a very strong word. He can he can be in like the initial think tank for a video game. I'll accept that for the world the environment. For the world, yeah. 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 he the should story. very specifically be the guy who builds the world for a game. Somebody else should write it, and then he gets sent away immediately. Y- yes, his his only job is establishing and and maintaining the continuity of the world. Yep, I'm surprised there isn't a game in this universe. Like it feels like it's set up for that. Well, maybe but after I... the Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. God, licensed games please let them not like show the most fucked up thing. like also i i just happened to be trying to figure out who the fuck uh kawahara was like where she initially came in so i was like googling some stuff yesterday and i read this whole article about the issues of whitewashing with the casting choice yeah. and i was just like well this is this may very well be a shit show if this isn't handled. Well, that that's the interesting thing about this, right? You have a Japanese character who's in, like, Caucasian body. And so it's kind of like... And, like, whereas if you want to stay true to the story, he should be in a Caucasian body. But realistically, it's not inherent to the story that he is, except for the otherness. And we talked about this last night, and this is part of what I was saying. is like the only real way that they can justify... There's two things they need to do to justify a white person playing Takeshi in like the first season that covers the first book, mm-hmm. which is that he, they need to get somebody who plays the otherness very perfectly. It, like it needs to be written and played pretty much perfectly where there needs, it needs to be like someone who is in a white body who does not belong in a white body. I think the, the, the primary worry for me after reading that article was that even if they do these scenes, the like either in flashback where they show him, where different actors are playing him because he's in different sleeves, um, the audience is going to identify the Caucasian body as the default body of this character. Yeah, which I think is going to hinge not actually just on how they write the otherness, but how uh, the degree to which they make it very clear that that the body that he's in is not actually Kovacs, right? Like it's that's I feel like that's central to the plot, right? That that actor is not Kovach. That actor is uh, just a body. Well, no, that actor is explicitly Riker. Well, yeah. Like, it's not just a body. It's another character who's important to the story who did stuff before we got here. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's... And, again, not to disagree. Like, it is weird, but I agree that it totally comes down to they're going to need to do it right. And I don't know what right means, but technically, the actor from a visual standpoint is playing Elias Reichert from an acting standpoint is Takeshi Kovash. And that's a weird thing to do. Yeah. Not, maybe not weird, challenging in a lot of ways. They picked the harder route to be respectful about it. They could have just said, we are going like, we're just going to change it so that Riker was also Japanese or Japanese. even just of Asian descent, but then yeah. you get into other problems. Yeah, I feel like the difficulty there, and again, just purely from like a making the show perspective, is that I think the one of the few really interesting things that does happen, again, not enough to count as like really good, is that difference between your kind of your 
body and your mind, right? And which one is you and dealing with the two of those and the fact that like when we find out that Kristen has been looking at her ex this whole time, seems like a weird thing to not come up until that point in the story for dramatic effect. But regardless, it's it's a weird thing. It's I, I don't know that there's a good way to do it is the thing that is really difficult, at least for me. Just because, yeah, you're going to get all of that and there's no two ways around the fact that Takeshi Kovach, someone who is Japanese and I guess some kind of... Russian. Yeah, like uh, Eastern European... I was going to be played by a white guy. Sort of. Because the white guy is also playing Elias Reichert. Has a whole lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah, it talked, the article also talked a lot about speculative fiction, like co-opting like Asian uh, set pieces without doing any, giving any respect to Asian people. And it's specifically like, yes. A lot. Once again, worth reading Snow Crash. Which does all of that, tongue firmly in cheek. <laughs> I'm really going to have to read Snow Crash. It's been high on my list for a while. Not as good as the Diamond Age, but worth reading. A lot of people are going to disagree. I'm going to say that every time this comes up. I also haven't read any Stevenson, so. Not as good as the Diamond Age. <laughs> Diamond Age is really good. <laughs> all right, but I think we should wrap this up. I agree. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, once again, that was the end of the very first sci-fi noir episode. Next up is going to be Blade Runner, so check that out. And you still have time to get in and play Gemini Rue, which it turns out is available, like, everywhere, which is great, uh, before we wrap up the topic as a whole. So, that was this topic. Next up, Girls with Gifts Gathered by the Government. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. Kovacs, Jesus. Kovacs, watch. Kovac, Jesus. Kovac. Let's just call him Jesus. <laughs> right, let me try it again. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>